Uh, this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning there. Exodus chapter 16. Now the book of Exodus, uh, as, as most of us know, right, it's the story of Israel's deliverance from the land of Egypt. Right? And this is the, the subject matter, not only of the book of Exodus, but also Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and even part of Joshua. Right? So oftentimes right, people ask the question, why does God spend so much time talking about just this one event? And he gives us the reason why, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, it tells us that the Exodus was not just a portion of Israel's history, but is also a portrait of the Christian life. Right? God preserves these events in history for our ensamples, so that the things that happen unto them, they don't happen unto us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, Now all these things happen unto them to Israel for our ensamples. And they are written, they are preserved in Scripture for our admonition, that is our warning upon whom the ends of the world are come, right? And so this morning what we want to do is be able to look at what the things that happened unto Israel and to learn of those things, right? So the title for today's message is Keeping Us From Canaan, right? Keeping Us From Canaan. And what we are going to see here this morning is ultimately what kept Israel from the land of Canaan and what keeps us from Canaan today. Now, before we get started... I want to take just a few minutes here to kind of lay out some types and pictures for us, right? Now, we're not going to deep dive any of these things. If some of this is new to you, just keep coming back, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about this in our Sunday fellowship. Sam's going to hit on this in main service, right? We're going to hit on this in, in discipleship one and discipleship two and LFBI, et cetera. But, but just to help us get some handles on what we're going to see here this morning, I want to give you just a few tidbits here. So the first one is Egypt, right? Egypt in your Bible is going to be a type or a picture of the world in sin, right? We see that Egypt is going to stand constantly opposed to both God and his people. Next, the nation of Israel, that's going to be a picture for us this morning of the individual believer, right? In the Old Testament, God calls Israel his son, in fact, he tells Moses to go unto Pharaoh and say, let my son go that he may serve me. But in the New Testament, right, the individual believer, right, receives the title son of God. We see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John chapter 1, verse 12, and Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Now, Canaan for us this morning, oftentimes I hear people and they, and they associate Canaan with heaven. Canaan is not a picture of heaven in your Bible. In fact, when you when you kind of read the story of the people entering into the land, you realize that, you know, they had to work to get into Canaan, right? They had to fight to enter Canaan, right? We don't work to get to heaven. We don't fight to get to heaven, right? We are saved by grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So while Canaan does not picture heaven for us, it does picture for us, right, the abundant life in Christ that God intends for every believer, it is a life of fullness, a life of rest, a life of fruit-bearing, of peace, and blessing in Christ that God desires for every believer. 
So keep those in mind as we go through our passage today. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, right? We're going to pick up the story, and, and Israel has come out of Egypt, right? They've crossed the Red Sea, and we now find them here in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we had set by the flesh pots, and we did eat of bread to the full. For ye, Moses and Aaron, ye have brought us forth unto this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So the first thing that we see here this morning, that we're going to see here this morning, that that ultimately kept Israel from being able to enter the land of Canaan, right? That, That keeps believers today from being able to experience this life in Christ that God desires for them is unbelief. Unbelief. In verses 2 and 3, we see that, that Israel had a need, right? And that, that need was food, right? Now, is, is that a legitimate need? It's not a trick question. Yeah. Yes, right? Food is a legitimate need. You know, uh, you can look up and you can see different um, studies and, and statistics on the Internet. You know, on average, they say the average person can go a few weeks without food before they perish. You know, some of us have... A little bit more body fat than others, and so we could last a little bit longer. But, but, but on average, you know, you're going to go a few weeks to a, a couple of months somewhere in there, right? We all need food. In fact, the older I get, right, the more food I feel like I need, right? It kind of goes counterintuitive. I do less activity, and yet I want food more often, which is a, is a problem, right? <laughs> right? That, that, that doesn't go well together. But, but, but they had a legitimate need, Right? But what we find here is that instead of responding in faith, instead of praying to God and asking God for wisdom or for provision in this case, what they do is they begin to murmur. That word murmur, it it simply means to complain, right? We could say it means to to make a low noise, to to grumble, right? It's the sound that that my wife makes when... uh, she walks in and she sees that, that football is on the television the third night in a row, right? Or the kids haven't picked up their room, or, or when she's trying to have just a few minutes of peace in the bathroom and someone's knocking on the door, right? We all know what it means to murmur. Now, I'm, I'm giving you all her examples because, of course, I don't, I don't complain. That would be unbecoming of me, right? I'm just kidding, right? We all, we all know what it means to murmur, right? We all complain about way too much. But what we must understand about murmuring is that murmuring is always the byproduct of discontentment or unbelief. Murmuring is always the byproduct of discontentment or unbelief. 
It communicates to God that that what God has done or what God is doing is not good enough. It's not good enough. Or it says to God, God, I just can't believe you. I can't take you at your word, Lord. I, I just can't trust you. In Numbers chapter 11, the the people, we see the people murmured because they were unhappy with God's provision, right? They they got tired of the bread. They wanted meat to eat, right? They were discontent. But here in Exodus chapter 16, it was not discontentment that led the people to murmur. Rather, it was a lack of faith in God's promises. You see, in Genesis chapter 15, right, we, we, we find that, that God made Abraham a promise that his seed would be a stranger in a land that was not theirs and they would serve them. They would be afflicted for 400 years, but after that, after that, God would judge that nation and bring them out. And God reaffirmed this promise to his people in Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, when he said unto Moses, Go and gather the elders... Uh, the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done unto you in Egypt. Get this. And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto the land flowing with milk and honey. Right, so God made a promise to Israel that he would bring them out of Egypt and into Canaan, but here we find a people staggering at God's promise in disbelief, without hope, even despairing of life itself. Now, let's just put on our, our thinking hats for this morning. Right? Think about this for just a second. Right, If God had promised Israel that he was going to bring them out of the land of Egypt and he was going to bring them safely into the land of Canaan, was he going to let them die in the wilderness because of a lack of food? Was he going to let them starve? Was he going to let them die of thirst? Was he going to let their enemies take them in the wilderness? Right? The answer, we, we, we know, it, it's no. It's no. God was never going to let them starve in the wilderness. And yet... Here they were, right, unsettled, fearful, murmuring, unable to take God at his word, unable to to simply pray and ask him for wisdom and provision in this case. You know, and what, what really hits me about this is at this point, they are just a few weeks removed from having come out of Egypt, right, having witnessed what would have been the greatest collection of miracles the world has ever seen when God parted the Red Sea and he he wrought about the ten plagues. If ever there were a people at a time that should have said, man, there is nothing, there is nothing too hard for the Lord, It, it should have been Israel at this time. But instead, they they respond in unbelief. They murmured against God. And tragically, we find that this becomes a pattern of behavior throughout their time in the wilderness. 
You know, just like the, the children of Israel, we often find ourselves in a hard place. Going through a hard time with, with needs that, that seem to be just beyond our abilities, our capabilities to, to meet. Just like Israel, right, we're, we're faced with a choice. Right? We are either going to stand in faith and we're going to cry out to God for wisdom and for the provision that he has promised us. Or we're going to respond in disbelief. And we're going to murmur like the rest of the world. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us that God, through his divine power, has given unto us great promises. That by these promises we might be partakers of his divine nature, of this abundant life in Christ that he desires for us. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the question is, is right, do, do we believe him? Right? And will we seek out, will we hold to the precious promises of his word? Go back to our passage. When it comes to murmuring, another thing that we, we must see here this morning, another thing that we must understand is that when we murmur, God hears it and God takes it personally. God hears our complaints and he takes them personally. Exodus chapter 16, verse 6, And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even, then shall you know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he, listen to this, heareth your murmurings against the Lord. Moses says, And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening, flesh to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Right? Verse 2 said that the the children of Israel, the people, they, they murmured against Moses and Aaron. But we see here in verses 6 through 8 that, that God not only heard it, but he took it personally. So the principle is this, that, that when we murmur, when we complain, no matter who or what it is about, no matter who it's directed towards, God hears it, and God takes it personally. We see the same thing in Exodus chapter 17, 
Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 16, Deuteronomy chapter 1. You can go on and on and on. And you can look at all those on your own, but, but turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Neither let us tempt who? Tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye. As some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. You know, one of the ways that, that we find that Israel tempted Christ was when they murmured in unbelief. And again, regardless of who or what our complaints are about or who they are directed towards, God, from his perspective, he hears them and he takes them personally. They are always towards him. As believers, we are commanded to do all things without complaint. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without murmurings. And disputings that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Right? We are to be blameless and harmless. Right? Now, when you look at that, that that's really talking about our testimony. Not necessarily before God, but before men. Right? We are, we are blameless before God because of Jesus Christ. But we are to be blameless before men. Right? We are to be a peculiar people. We are to shine as lights in a world of darkness. But when we murmur, we make ourselves no different than the lost world. And so get this down, right? Murmuring destroys our testimony to the lost. Murmuring destroys our testimony to the lost. You know, God desired to bring Israel into Canaan to be a priestly nation by which all other nations were brought into a relationship, into fellowship with him. And yet, because of their constant murmuring, right, God allowed a generation to die out in the wilderness and never experience the purpose that he had for their life. God desires for you and I to be lights in a world of darkness, right? Ministers of reconciliation to draw others to saving grace in Christ, but we simply cannot, we will not do that when we live our lives faithlessly and we go around and we complain and murmur about everything that doesn't go our way. Or everything that we can't see how God is possibly working in this situation. Right? I can't trust God and I can't trust the promises of his word. So you know what? When things don't go the way that I want them to, I'm just going to murmur and complain like everybody else. And God says, you're no different than them. Nobody is going to ask you for a reason of hope that is in you when you stand and you just complain about everything. There is no hope in you. Why would I go ask someone for hope that is complaining about everything? I 
Moving on, the second behavior that we're going to see here this morning that ultimately kept this people from being able to enter into Canaan, right? Again, keep the picture in mind. The abundant life in Christ that God desires for us was their disobedience. Was their disobedience. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 11, said, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that even that the quails came up, they covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that was laid was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather it, every man, according to his eating, and omer for every man. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man of them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and they gathered some more and some less. And so what we see here is that despite their murmurings, right, God provides. Right, God is good. God provided for their eating, right, bread from heaven that we call manna. Now, we don't have time to, to dive into this, but this, this bread is going to actually picture the Lord Jesus Christ, right? In John chapter 6, verse 35, right, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? If you're interested in that, right, you, can, you can look at that a little bit more on your own. You know, Mark Trotter does a, a fantastic job. If you've got his book, 52 Weeks of Pursuit, he actually spends a couple of pages in there just showing you some of the similarities and the parallels between this, this bread and the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, that's beyond what we're trying to cover here today, so I'll leave that for you. God provided the bread, right? And notice what he told them here. He told them that they were to take of each man an omer. An omer. Now, we don't use omers today, right? I don't think anybody's like, hey, when I'm baking cookies, go get me an omer of sugar, right? That's, we don't use that term of measurement. Uh, an omer was simply a dry unit of measurement, right, back in, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew culture. It was equal to a tenth part of an ephah, or what would have been called a bushel. Again, I couldn't relate that for you today. They knew what it was back then, right? God is giving them a specific amount that they are to gather for every person. Verse 18, and when they did meet, right, when they measured it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, let no man leave of it until the morning. Get this, notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank, and Moses was wroth with them. Right, and so God's instructions were very simple, right? Okay, I'm going to provide the bread. You go out and gather it. And you're going to gather an omer for every man, and you're going to eat it. You're going to eat all of it. Don't leave any of it until the morning, because if you do, it's not going to turn out well, right? And that's exactly what happened, right? And, and some of the people, they go out and they gather, and they, whether they gathered more or less, right, they left of some of it until the morning. It expires. It goes bad. It, it breeds bugs, and it, and it stinks, Right? 
So the people don't listen. Verse 21, And they gathered in the morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today. See that which you will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid that up until the morning, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. So the sixth day comes along, right? And God tells the people that, hey, you know what? The sixth day is a special day, right? Because what you're going to do, unlike the previous five days, you're going to gather twice as much bread on the sixth day, because on the seventh day, right, there's going to be no gathering, Right? The seventh day is a Sabbath day. Right? It's, a, it's a holy day. It's a rest day. Right? There will be no bread. There will be no gathering on the seventh day. So on the sixth day, you have permission. In fact, you are commanded to gather twice as much bread as the other five days. Okay? Everybody, everybody with me? What we see is that this time the people obeyed. Right? The extra bread is left overnight, and it doesn't expire, right? Unlike the previous five days when they had bread left over, they left it until the morning, it went bad. This time, the bread's left over, it doesn't go bad. They have food to eat on the seventh day. Praise the Lord. Verse 25, And Moses said, Eat today, for today is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall eat, or I'm sorry, today you shall not find of it in the field. Six days shall ye gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the seventh, Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Right? So the seventh day comes, and we find that despite the fact that what we have been told previously is that the people went out on the sixth day, and they did gather twice as much as the Lord had said, and yet... On the seventh day, you've still got people who are not following what God said, and they go out to the field looking for more bread, and they find none. And what I want us to see here is that, you know what, Israel in this whole story, right, there's kind of a mixed bag of obedience and disobedience, right? You've got some of the people that are listening, and, and they're going out and gathering when God's saying to gather. You've got some of them who are not. You've got some of them who are gathering too much and leaving some over left over to the morning on the days that they weren't supposed to. You've got some of them who gathered the right amount, but then on the seventh day when they're all supposed to be resting, they're still out in the fields looking, right? So you've got some people who are doing right. You've got some people who are doing partially right, and you've got some people who are doing wrong or partially wrong, right? It's kind of a mixed bag. But notice what God concludes here. How long shall you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? The principle is this, right? Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. God did not conclude that the people were obedient because some obeyed and some didn't. He did not conclude that they were obedient because they listened to some of what he had to say, but not all of it. God's response was, how long shall you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? 
right? We cannot deceive ourselves, right? Partial obedience, right? Picking and choosing what we will obey and what we will disobey is still disobedience to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, the Lord said this, Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my ways. Keep all my commandments always. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. Right? This is, quite simply, this is just God's heart. This is God's heart being laid out for his people. Oh, that they would keep all my commandments, all my ways. And get this, who's the benefit to here? Who's the benefit to, in verse 29, that it might be well with them? That it might be well with them? You know, our obedience, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for God. I mean, I, I would say we glorify the Lord in that, but, but we're not adding unto the Lord because we're obedient, right? We, we reap the rewards of our obedience. God's blessings are to and upon those that obey all of his commandments. Not just some of them, Luke eleven twenty eight. You know, too many believers today, right, we, we pick and choose and, and we justify ourselves or we attempt to justify ourselves because you know what, hey, I'm, Lord, I'm doing this, right? I'm, man, the, the, the Ten Commandments, I got those things down, right? I'm, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not stealing. I haven't killed anybody lately, right? Like, and so somehow I'm walking right with God, and I just expect all the blessings of God to come my way. And yet we know on the back of our mind, hey, when I read Scripture, man, I know that's not right, but boy, Lord, that, that doesn't really align with what I got going on over here. You know, that's kind of inconvenient for me to pick that one up. And to hold to that one, right? Boy, that would, that would cost me a lot, Lord. If I, if I got to obey that, oh my goodness. That, that would cost me a lot. I'm, I'm just going to kind of ignore that one, right? There's, God, you understand. There's reasons that I don't have to obey that one. I mean, Israel had reasons, right? They're in a desert. They had reasons in the flesh to say, hey, if there's extra bread on the ground, we're going to gather a whole bunch of it because who knows when the next meal is coming, right? They could have justified in their mind why it was okay not to listen to what God had to say, you know what? And on the first and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth, they gather as much as we can. We don't know when the next meal is coming, right? That would have made sense. Or you know what, on that seventh day, I know God said there's not going to be any bread, there's not going to be any gathering, but man, if there's, some, if there's a few scraps out there, we better gather that because God forbid that God stops providing the bread tomorrow. I mean, they could have justified that, and that's what we do in our own minds, right? Oftentimes, we look for reasons to justify sin. 
our disobedience. And we say, you know what, because I, I've, I'm batting, you know, it's, it's like Major League Baseball, right? Well, I'm batting three out of ten here. Or let's say I'm, I'm batting seven out of ten. Man, I'm, I am knocking it out of the park. And God's like, that's still disobedience. This isn't baseball. You don't get to fail seven out of ten times or, or three out of ten times. Like, it's all disobedience. My heart is that you would obey all. Obey it all, right? Not, not because I'm going to reap from it. It's for your reaping, right? Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, Blessed are they that not only hear the word, but those that keep it. Right? Those that would obey it. Don't make any mistake about it. God is merciful. And God showed mercy unto these people here. And God still provided. But God does not bless sin. He can't. It goes against his very nature. I'm getting close to wrapping up. As I mentioned earlier, what we see here in Exodus chapter 16, right? it, it ultimately becomes a pattern of behavior that, that really defines Israel's time in the wilderness. And that comes to a head in the book of Numbers chapter 14, Here we see that God has finally had enough that this generation of people is no longer going to enter into the the promised land. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. Be turning there. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. But as I true are, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. You see, what, what, what kept Israel, what kept this generation, I should say, of Israelites from not only not entering the promised land, none of them but Moses, right, and we obviously know Joshua and Caleb, but, but none of them but Moses even got to see it. Right? Wasn't that they didn't just get to step foot into it, they never got to see it. And we talked about how you know, Canaan is this picture right, of this abundant life that God desires for us. So many believers today never even get to see that life that God desires for them because they simply refuse to take him at his word and believe him. They're discontent with the things that God has provided, and so they murmur and they complain because of everything in life that isn't going their way, right? I just got a bad shake in life. Nothing's going my way. You don't understand. Or because, you know what, they pick and they choose from God's word what it is that I'm going to obey. And they justify why that's okay, why that's acceptable with the Lord. And so they never experience the life that God desires for them. They never find happiness 
They never find rest. They never find peace. They never find fulfillment. They never see fruit in their life. And they come to church every week and they sit in the church and like, why don't I have fruit like this person? And why don't I have rest like this person? And why is my life such a train wreck? Why has everybody else got it together? You know what, I've just got a bad shake, so let me go complain about that. Why is Mark going to Hawaii? <laughs> why am I not going to Hawaii? No. I mean, you know what I'm saying. We all do it. We all do it. And it's those things that keep us from ever experiencing the life that, that God desires for all of us. We don't even see it. I mean, how tragic is this? Everything that God did to bring these people into the land. You know, there's something we see here, and it should be very sobering, right? God is merciful. God is long-suffering, right? He says these ten times, and you can, you can go through that, right? You can actually count out these ten times. It really starts back when uh, the, they were parting at the Red Sea, and the people start to... Again, in unbelief, right? They, they, they fret. They don't trust on God. Moses has to step in and be like, look, calm down. God's got this, right? But you can count it these ten times, right? There is a limit. There is a limit to what God will tolerate. And eventually God's going to say, hey, you know what? If you want to go away that's right in your own eyes and you want to live that kind of life, have at it. Have at it. This isn't for you any longer. Right? Don't, don't leave here. Don't, don't continue living your life, right? Thumbing your nose at God and saying, you know what? When I decide to get serious about the Lord, when I decide that, you know what, I'm just going to get full of faith, no matter what the situation is, no matter what I'm faced with, right? I'm going to ask God for wisdom. I'm going to ask God for vision. I'm going to wait on the Lord. You know what? No matter what God says, no matter if it's hard or it doesn't make any sense, I'm just going to obey it. You know, until we get to that point, we're never going to experience this life. And at some point, God's going to say, you know what? That's no longer for you. I'm just going to let you go out into the world and experience what you want in the world. And one day you're going to stand before me and say, Lord, this Christian life, I mean, everybody talks about the Christian life and what it's supposed to mean. And we're all supposed to be at peace and we're all supposed to have fulfillment. and We're going to have fruit and, and it's all joy. But you know what, Lord, my life is just like it was when I was lost. I don't understand. Nothing changed. I I, I witnessed to a guy recently, and, and that's what he said. Well, the, you know, the, the whole church thing really didn't work out for me. You know, God, God just didn't work for me. That's what he, what he said. And, and, uh, and I tried to dive a little bit more into it. He, he didn't want to talk about it. But I, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that it didn't work out to him because he simply didn't, never took God at his word. Maybe he never knew it. Right? Maybe for this gentleman, church, church was it. That was the relationship with God. There was no personal interaction with his word. There was no precious promises. There was no belief. There was no obedience, right? But, but I promise you, it wasn't because of God. It wasn't because God didn't uphold his end of the bargain, right? Too many believers today were pointing fingers at God and saying, God, why haven't you done what you said you were going to do? And God's like, it's waiting for you. It's all waiting for you. It's right here. You're keeping yourself from it. 
You are keeping yourself from it. It's right here for you to have. It's yours. The promises are yours. Are you going to receive them? Are you just going to walk according to my word? It's yours to have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you, God, just for this sample that we have here in our Old Testament. Um, Lord, we know these were real historical events with real consequences, Lord, that, that happened to your people back in the Old Testament. But, but God, the fact that you have preserved those, Lord, in just the, the few pages that we have in Scripture, that, Lord, you, you cared enough to, to write those down and preserve those for us, Lord, we know it means something. And it's huge, God, and, and we would be remiss this morning, Lord, to to look at that and to walk away just almost thumbing our nose at it and saying, well, Lord, that's for somebody else. Or that, I get it. Yeah, I probably need to do a little bit better at this, but, but, but not take it seriously. God, just, just these past few weeks, just kind of meditating on this and thinking about it, Lord, I, I just recognize how prone I am to complain. Whether it's in my home or my workplace or or even in ministry. And God, that's always a position of faithlessness. It's always a position of discontentment. And God, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, when we approach you faithlessly or, or discontently. God, we murmur and complain and make ourselves like the rest of the world. And we don't serve as those, 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 those priestly ministers, Lord, those ministers of reconciliation, those lights in a world. Father, we just blend in with the darkness. God, forgive us. Lord, don't let us continue in that. Father, we, it is our heart's desire to bear fruit, Lord, to experience all that you would have for us and, and to bear fruit. God, we're, we're desperate for it. Lord, there are so many souls that, that need you, and, and we know that, that God... If we don't get right, if we're living our lives in sin, if we're living our lives, Lord, murmuring and complaining because we don't have faith, then God, who's going to want that? Nobody's going to want that. Lord, please help us not to be those people. Lord, please help us not to make excuse for sin or to try to justify it because we think that's a minor sin or versus a major sin. Lord, it's all sin. Lord, anything that that goes against your word, Lord, it's sin. Anything that's without faith, Lord, is sin. Father, forgive us. Lord, help us not to justify any of it. Lord, if there are areas in our life, Lord, that we we need to clean up, Lord, we we confess those to you and we ask that, Lord, you would deal with us on those and and to help us not make provision for it. Lord, again, we want to walk uprightly. We want to experience the life that, God, you intend for us. Lord, help us to do that. Father, we, we do love you. We thank you again for your word for your Holy Spirit, Lord, for what you're doing. The fact that, Lord, you are merciful and long-suffering and and the fact that, Lord, you continue to work in us and provide for us and do good things to us in spite of what are often our shortcomings and backslidings. But, Father, don't let us be deceived. Don't let us take that for granted and think that, Lord, there's there's not real consequences to that, that, Lord, we're not experiencing what you would have us to do or the life that you would have for us to live, Lord, while we're doing those things. Father, we ask these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.